Good morning, church. My name is Michael Turner. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb, and it is my great honor to be able to bring you the message this morning as we continue in our sermon series called On the Move. We've been steadily working our way through the book of Acts, watching the movement of God unfold in the early church. And so far in the series, we have talked about the purpose of the movement. We've talked about the power of the movement. We've talked about the pioneers of the movement. We've talked about women in the movement and Peter in the movement and Paul in the movement. And this morning, we get to talk about division within the movement. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you. When I, shortly after I came on staff and I got a copy of the preaching schedule, of course, I quickly scanned it to find out when I would be preaching where. And, and I was like, oh, okay. My first Sunday preaching in an auditorium is gonna be October 15th. Let me see what part of the series that falls into. Oh, I get to talk about disagreement, conflict, and division. Yay! But even though it's not all that fun to talk about these things, it is necessary because conflict in our lives is inevitable. So I'm just gonna hazard a wild guess this morning and say that maybe some of you had conflict before you even got here this morning. And if you didn't, you are familiar with the concept. You have been engaged in conflict before. Now, one way to define conflict is two different ideas trying to occupy the same space. Two different ideas trying to occupy the same space. The thing I like about that definition is it's neutral. It doesn't really presume that conflict is good or bad. It's just conflict just is. It is a fact of life. It's two different ideas trying to occupy the same space. And there's really no end to the number of things we can have conflict about. For example, has anyone ever had any conflict in your house with regard to how the toilet paper roll should be installed on the holder in the bathroom? Because we know some people would argue that the paper has to be installed so that the paper comes off the top. And other people are just wrong. <laughs> Only communists put the paper so that it comes off the bottom. I'm totally kidding. Please don't send me an email about that. Well, very early on in our marriage, my wife Heather and I realized that we had a conflict we learned that we can't share toothpaste. We each have to have our own tube of toothpaste. And the reason is not because we can't agree on a brand or because we can't agree should it be wintergreen or bubblegum or cinnamon. That's not the issue. The issue is that I take the toothpaste tube and I squeeze it from the bottom meticulously flattening it out so that I can get every drop of toothpaste out of the tube. Meanwhile, my beautiful, sweet, kind wife squeezes it in the middle like a barbarian. <laughs> I think she was raised by wolves or something. She, she, she squeezes it right in the middle. So we realized we, the only way we can solve this conflict is we both have to have different tubes of toothpaste. Now, of course, Disagreements don't just happen in our families. 
spoiler alert, conflict even happens in churches. I bet you already knew that. Maybe some of us are here today and not at another church because of some conflict that's happened in the past. And if it's true that there's no end to the number of things that we can have conflict over in our families, it is absolutely also true in the church. I've heard of churches having conflicts, disagreements, and even splitting over such trivial things as the color of carpet in the sanctuary, whether or not they're gonna serve coffee on Sunday mornings, and this is a pretty common one, what type of music they're gonna sing in the worship services. Now here, we just solved that by having two styles of worship, so you can go wherever you want to, but those are conflicts that lead to splits sometimes in churches. In fact, sometimes I'm driving around the countryside. If I see two churches in close proximity to each other, I've just kind of come to assume that somewhere in the past, some people at one church got mad over something and they just went across the street and started a new church. I especially come to that conclusion if the church is called friendship or harmony or unity. I just assume that that's a church split somewhere down the line because I, I hear those names and I think, methinks thou dost protest too much. Well, last week I was talking to Pastor Jeff, telling him about, while I was thinking about this sermon and he told me a joke and I have to tell it to you. He said, there was a guy who was one time stranded on a deserted, had shipwrecked and stranded on a deserted island and he was stranded there for years and so he, he built uh, his dwelling places and then finally a cruise ship came by, he managed to get their attention and they came to rescue him. And so when they came ashore he, he said, I'm so grateful to be rescued after all these years, but before we go, I hope you don't mind, I would love to give you a tour of the place. I wanna show you what I've done with it. So over here, I built a shelter to live in, to sleep in. This is my bed, this is the shelter that I made to sleep in. Over here is the shelter that I created to cook in. This is my kitchen. And over here is my church. I built this shelter so it could be a place where I could worship God and pray. And the person who was rescuing him from the cruise ship said, well, that's great. You've really done, I love what you've done with the place, but what about that shelter over there? And he said, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> Sometimes we even have conflict with ourselves. Well, since conflict is inevitable and disagreement and dissension are so prevalent in our lives and sometimes even in our churches, we better know how to deal with it in a healthy way. And I'm thinking that maybe we can learn some things from the first ever church fight recorded in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles with you, I wanna invite you to turn to Acts chapter 15. I'll begin reading at verse one. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, 
to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were being converted. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When we pick up in Acts 15, it's important to understand where we are in this unfolding story of the movement of God. Acts 15 is about 13 to 14 years after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It's about 13 or 14 years after the conversion of Paul on the road to Damascus. And in those intervening years, Paul has been busy preaching and teaching. And immediately before we pick up the passage in, in chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas have returned from their very first missionary journey. They've been traveling all over Asia Minor, the Roman province of Asia Minor, what we would call modern-day Turkey. They've been traveling and planting churches, preaching the good news of Jesus. And this is how they would do it. This is their mode of operation. They would first, any town that they went into, they would first go to the synagogue. That was their first stop. It's what they knew. They were Jewish. The synagogue was where they knew to go and pray. It's where you went to open up the scrolls and study scriptures and, and talk about God. By the way, early on, the movement of Jesus, it's important to know that the early movement of Jesus was completely Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. His first disciples were Jewish. Even the apostle Paul who becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. Even Paul was Jewish. The good news of Jesus was delivered first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles because God had been preparing the Jewish people for their Messiah for centuries before Jesus. God had given the prophets so that the Jewish people would know, recognize, and acknowledge Jesus as Messiah when he came. And in the meantime, between Abraham, way back in the Old Testament, and Jesus, circumcision was the mark of the covenant between God and his people. That's how God's people were, were delineated. And between Moses, back in the book of Exodus, and Jesus, 
The Old Testament law was given to the people so that God could guide them into his will and teach them how to be obedient. And so the Jewish people, of all people, should have been primed to receive the good news about Jesus. They should have recognized God in the flesh when he showed up among them. They should have realized Jesus was the one who came to save the entire world through his life, death, and resurrection. So that's why. In every city, Paul preached first in the synagogues. But pretty soon, in every single city to which Paul traveled, that he would, they would engage in conflict with the leaders of the synagogue. And pretty soon, Paul would be run out of the synagogues and he would end up preaching in the streets to those unclean Gentiles. Now, Gentile is a word that encompasses anybody who isn't Jewish. Most of us here this morning, most of us joining online, we, we are Gentiles. We are not Jewish. And most of the Gentiles that Paul encountered in his missionary journeys were people who worshipped the Greco-Roman gods. They, they worshipped Apollo. They worshipped Venus and Aphrodite and Artemis. They worshipped the Caesars as gods. And so these are people who, who weren't circumcised. They didn't have the mark of the covenant. These are people who didn't know Israel's scriptures. They didn't understand the prophecies about Jesus. But in, in spite of all of that, miraculously, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they start coming to faith in Jesus in droves. It's amazing. Nobody expected it. And by the time Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch, which was the church that sent them out on their first missionary journey in the first place, by the time they get back, they have some amazing God stories. They, they have celebrations of great ministry success. In fact, this is chapter 14, verse 27. That's what it says. Upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together and reported everything God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. So they get back to Antioch, and it's a celebration. God did amazing things on this mission trip, including opening the door of faith to the Gentiles. It was awesome. But it didn't take long for trouble to pop up. Just two verses later, this is chapter 15, verse 1. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, I don't know if Paul and Barnabas and the rest of the church at Antioch expected this conflict, but I do know that we should in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, and in our church, we should anticipate disagreement and conflict because it is inevitable. And I don't know about you, but when I can anticipate conflict, when I see it coming, I, I tend to handle it a lot better. When I'm caught off guard by conflict, I, I don't do too well with that. And so maybe we should be on the lookout, anticipate because the truth is, when it comes to conflict, it's not a matter of if conflict is gonna happen, it's just a matter of when. In fact, I'm a firm believer in spiritual warfare. So in those very moments in churches when things are going well, 
In those moments when we are celebrating ministry successes and, and it's apparent how God is moving in our midst, drawing people to Jesus, in those moments, we better be on high alert because the enemy will absolutely be prowling around trying to derail the movement of God in our midst. And one of his favorite strategies is to stir conflict among the believers. And that's exactly what happens here in Acts chapter 15, when some men from Judea show up. Now, these men are Jewish believers in Jesus. They are Christians. But all they have ever known is that the sign of the covenant with God is circumcision. They've grown up in the synagogues. They've grown up going to the temple in Jerusalem to make sacrifices for their sins when they violate the Old Testament law. And even though they have come to faith in Jesus, they hold on to this belief that keeping those laws of the Old Testament is necessary for their salvation. In other words, they believe that only Jews can be saved, either Jews by birth or Jews who converted by being circumcised and keeping the law of Moses. And when they start teaching that in the church at Antioch, Paul and Barnabas don't like it one bit. This is verse two. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Now, the King James translates that verse, they had no small dissension. So you tell me, if it was no small dissension, what kind of dissension was it? It was big. It was a big disagreement. This is a huge dissension. And they're battling out. They're going round and round, going back and forth because it's no small dissension. And this isn't like it's about some trivial matter. This isn't about the color of carpet in the sanctuary. This isn't about what kind of music they're gonna sing. This is about a core essential of our faith. They're battling it out over what is necessary for salvation. What do you have to do to be saved? And these men from Judea say that outpatient surgery is necessary to be saved from Jesus, by Jesus. They, they believe you have to keep the, the law of Moses but Paul is gonna say, no, no, no. We don't have to do anything. It, salvation is not about what we do. Salvation is about what Jesus has already done. So all we have to do is acknowledge the fact that we have a need for a savior and put our faith in Jesus. In fact, in Paul's exact words in Ephesians chapter two, he says, we are saved by grace through faith. And so there they are. Two different ideas trying to occupy the same space. And they go round and round and round. And here's what the rest of verse two says. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. They weren't making any headway in this debate, so finally they decide to do something. They're not gonna avoid it, they're not gonna stick their heads in the sand. They're not gonna hope that the conflict just goes away on its own. They are gonna put together a delegation, go to Jerusalem and hash it out with the apostles there. So if, you, if you're taking notes on dealing with disagreement and conflict, step one is to anticipate it. Realize that it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when conflict is gonna come our way. Step two is to confront it head on, openly, 
honestly and in good faith. That's step two. In my experience in life and, and certainly being a part of staff teams and leading staff teams, confronting disagreements head on, openly, honestly, and in good faith has a way of keeping things from ramping up and getting out of control. In fact, one church that I was a part, church staff that I was a part of, we decided that we were going to create a staff covenant together that was gonna dictate how we were gonna behave with each other. And when all of a sudden done, we were very proud of how the staff covenant turned out. In fact, two bullet points I wanna share with you this morning because they were so key on really creating a healthy staff culture around conflict. And so if you're somebody who struggles with conflict, this, these might be worth writing down. The first thing we committed to together is that we were gonna speak to and not speak about. We're gonna speak to and not speak about. In other words, when I have an issue with, let's say, Sally Sue, if I have an issue with Sally Sue, I committed to going directly to and speaking to Sally Sue and not speaking about Sally Sue to somebody else. And when we commit to speak to instead of about, it has a way of turning down the temperature on the conflict. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy to do. Sometimes we speak about the other person under the guise of, oh, I just need to vent. Anybody ever done that? I just need to vent. Let me talk to you about Sally Sue because I, I need to vent. But that has a way of increasing the conflict. Speaking to and not about. The second bullet point is that we committed to believing the best instead of assuming the worst. In any given situation, we never have all the facts. There are always things that we don't know. And in those situations, we can choose to believe the best or assume the worst. And the choice that we make can, again, either turn the temperature up or turn the temperature down on the conflict. I'll give you a made-up example. Let's say that I have a meeting with somebody named Trevor. And let's say Trevor is late to the meeting. I don't know why Trevor's late, but I have a choice to make in that moment. I can choose to believe the best or I can choose to, to assume the worst. If I choose to make the, make the choice of make, believing the best, then I will say, well, Trevor's late, but I, there must be a good reason for it. He had a flat tire, he's got a sick child. I know Trevor wouldn't just be late for no reason. That's believing the best. Now, if Trevor makes a habit out of being late, then I have the opportunity to speak to Trevor and say, hey man, you've been late to our last few meetings and that's making it hard for me to believe the best. That's speaking to instead of speaking about. So you see how it works? Speaking to, not about, believing the best instead of assuming the worst. Two ways to confront conflict head on, openly, honestly, and in good faith. And that's exactly what happens here in the book of Acts. The folks in Antioch send Paul and Barnabas with a delegation to Jerusalem to decide whether or not the Gentiles have to first be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved by Jesus. And once they arrive in Jerusalem, this debate just ignites all over again. And then we read in verse six, so the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. 
the apostles and elders, the major leaders of this movement got together. Peter was there, James was there, Paul and Barnabas was there. And they all convened for the purpose of resolving this issue. And the first one to speak is Peter. He stands up and shares about how, to his surprise, when he preaches among the Gentiles, they actually came to faith. Nobody expected it, but the Gentiles came to faith and God rewarded their faith by giving them the Holy Spirit. No outpatient surgery was necessary, Peter said. The Holy Spirit cleansed their hearts. So it was a circumcision of the heart. And though Peter was surprised by it, he couldn't deny it because he witnessed it. And so Peter speaks, Paul and Barnabas speaks, and here is a key in the debate. This is verse 12. Everyone listened quietly as Paul and Barnabas told about the miraculous signs and wonders of God had done through them among the Gentiles. Everyone listened quietly. Again, if you're, you're keeping track of how we can deal with conflict in a healthy way, first is we anticipate it. Second, we confront it head on. And third, we truly listen to the other people. We listen to their perspectives. Of course, there's a difference between listening to respond and listening to understand. When we're formulating our rebuttal, we're not really listening. Sometimes we, we can turn the temperature down on a conflict simply by listening so intently that the folks with whom we disagree know that they've been heard and understood, and the conflict turns down. Well, back to Acts. After we hear from Peter and Paul and Barnabas, the next person to speak is James. And the first thing James does is quote from the prophet Amos. In other words, he consults scripture. That's his first impulse to ask the question, what wisdom do we glean about this debate from the Bible? And the Old Testament passage that James refers to, in that passage, they see that it was God's plan all along to bring salvation to the whole world, including the Gentiles. And so James ends up agreeing with Peter, who said back in verse 11, we believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. After all the debate, Paul, Barnabas, Peter, James, they all end up saying the same thing. Contrary to this group of Jewish Christians insisting that in order to be saved by Jesus, you had to meet some prerequisites, they say that Jews and Gentiles alike are saved in the exact same way. It's all by the grace of Jesus. You don't have to do anything ahead of time to receive the free gift of salvation. You can't earn it. A long time ago, I, I read a book by Max Lucado called In the Grip of Grace. And, and in the book, he talks about the attempt to earn salvation. He likens it to attempting to jump to the moon. Of course, nobody can jump to the moon. Now, some of us can jump closer to the moon than others. I, I'm sure that LeBron James can jump closer to the moon than I can. But when it comes to jumping to the moon, we don't, none of us have a shot. And the same thing is true of trying to earn our salvation. We can't get close. 
The grace of Jesus is the only hope we have. And so that's why James makes this declaration in verse 19. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, you circumcision enthusiasts, you're wrong. You do not have to be circumcised to be saved by Jesus. So they confront the conflict head on. They listened to each other. They consulted the scriptures. And after all of that, they came to a conclusion. And because the early church handled the first conflict in this way, disagreement didn't derail the movement. If they had ignored it, hoped it go, go away, or turned the, the, they would have turned the temperature up on it, and things might not have ended so well. But because they handled it the way they did, the movement of God went forward in spite of all of that. In fact, I would argue that it was, they were better for it because conflict can be clarifying. And in this case, that conflict clarified what is necessary for salvation. All we need to do is trust Jesus. Does that mean that everybody fell in line with the decision? I doubt it. I'm sure that there were some who, who didn't agree. They didn't fall into agreement, but they did fall into alignment, which is, is very important because we don't have any evidence after this in the book of Acts that those people who disagreed continued to stir trouble and cause conflict. They fell into alignment with the decision, which is an important lesson, that unity does not require unanimity. One of our staff people said last week that in her family, when they make a decision, not all, they're not always convinced that it's the right decision, but they commit themselves to making it the right decision. I think that's, that's so important. One final thing about this passage. It's very subtle and easy to miss. All the way back in verse one, this is what it says. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea. Other translations say certain men from Judea. Why does Luke, when he's writing Acts, not identify these men? I mean, I'm sure he knew who they were, because if you create this big a stir, everybody knows who you are. But Luke makes a decision not to immortalize these men in their error by recording their names in his account. Do you see what's happening there? The very ones who decide that the grace of Jesus is our only hope extend graciousness to these certain men. Luke refuses to punish them for being wrong, which just prompts the question, are we similarly gracious toward those with whom we disagree? Especially when we realize that we're right and they were wrong. Do we extend grace in the same way that we've received grace? If not, maybe this morning we need to confess and repent of that. So that's it. That's the Jerusalem Council. That's the very first conflict in the early church. And I don't know what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your heart with this message about disagreement and conflict and division, but I do wanna give you the chance to respond. In just a moment, we're gonna pray. The band is gonna lead us in our last song and the altar is open. 
Maybe you're dealing with conflict right now and you need to come and pray for wisdom and courage to handle it in a healthy way. Maybe you've been in a disagreement and it has already gone sideways and there's hurt and there's pain and, and you need to come and pray for healing and the grace to forgive. Or maybe, hopefully, you'll want to come and pray that God would protect churches from spiritual warfare and conflict that can so easily grow out of control and derail the movement of God in our midst. If you feel led, I invite you to come even now as we go to our Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we are grateful for the story of your movement in the book of Acts. We're we're grateful that when we read these stories, we see normal people who have normal conflicts and disagreements and arguments. We're kind of glad to see that the arguments heat up because we certainly know they do in our lives. God, we pray that you'd be at work. For those of us who are in the midst of disagreement, we pray that you'd give us wisdom and courage to handle them in a healthy way. For those of us who've been burned by disagreements in the past, we pray that you bring healing and grace so that we can forgive and move forward. And we pray that you'd protect our church from conflict so that we can be about the business of spreading the good news of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray.